welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Usual. But I don't think I'm going to be talking specifically about comics, movies, or TV shows today because I've had a bee in my bonnet. There's been a little something something I've wanted to talk about for shit. I, I at this point I shudder to think. It's it, it it's been a year that I can swear to, but possibly longer than that. It could be as long as two years. Guys, that there's there's been something that I want to talk about that I don't know if I was waiting for the right time or or maybe I was I don't know what the deal was. I mean, I, I can't really think of a good reason why this episode that you're hearing right now has been delayed as much as it has. I simply know that it has been delayed as much as it has. But this is... There's something that's been on my mind for so long now that when you're a podcaster, one of the things you guys need to understand is you can live with an idea for so fucking long that it kind of, it's almost like the idea, it's like it starts to wither inside of your imagination somehow, you know. You have this idea for an episode that you want to do, and you get to a point where it's almost like shit or get off the pot, because this is, this idea, it's actually at one point, like when you first had it, it wasn't really all that good, so you had to refine it a little bit, and so you refined it a little bit, but you still haven't recorded it, and you're refining it, and you're refining it, and you're thinking about it, and it's just kind of marinating in the juices of your imagination, I guess. And so I it gets to a point where I mean, it's like anything, I guess. You can overcook uh, a cake, you know, or a steak or anything else that ends with ache, right? I mean, you could you can overcook that stuff. And I I don't know why, but it's like it, it gets to a point where you almost reach a level of diminishing returns with it where, you know, if if you would recorded this episode the minute you had the idea, it's not as good as it would be. But after you've lived with it for a while and you've thought about it for a while, now you're ready to record it. And it's going to be a better episode, but you wait too long and now it's almost, you almost get back to where you first started where it's not as good as it should be. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but, uh, you know, whatever. I make it all up as I go along anyway. But what I want to talk about is what I consider to be abused fanboy vocabulary words. All right. There, there's certain tar- uh, terminology that gets used a lot in the fan community that for whatever reason, it's like the outside world seems to think they have permission to use these terms. And so they use these terms. And being that these are that that we're we're basically talking about normies here. And because of the fact that they are normies, they don't understand what these words mean or how they are to be used. And honestly, I, I maybe I shouldn't pick too much on uh, on the normies here because I think even in the fan community, these words get I can't say misused, but I don't know if they necessarily have the accuracy that they should. So maybe this isn't strictly about picking on the normies, but it's just, for whatever reason, it's so much more obvious when they get it wrong. You know, when Entertainment Weekly or or Fox News or 
Let me think. Uh, who else? Uh, TMZ or fuck. Actually, I'm making up. T- I actually don't know about TMZ. Uh, uh, fucking just whoever, right? Basically, a non fan oriented outlet of some kind. When they get a hold of something, it's like the meaning of it somehow gets diluted to such a point where you wonder what the fuck this word even meant in the first place. And so what I'd like to do here in this episode is set the record straight a little bit on what the fuck these words are supposed to mean so that at the very least I can say that I've done my part in elevating the discourse. Of course, I've used a lot of profanities in getting just to this point in the episode, and something tells me I'm going to use at least a few more profanities before this is all over, so elevating the discourse is kind of a relative concept at this point. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But either way, I got to tell you, this episode was very nearly derailed. And this is the last bit of bullshit I need to go through before we can finally start talking about all this stuff. But this episode that you're hearing right now, guys, I am—I I dare not exaggerate. It was this close to getting completely derailed because word reached my ears many, many months ago that Professor Allen and M from the Relatively uh, Geeky Network, they were doing their own sort of lexicon episode or glossary episode, and I thought, shit, somebody's... I can't say stole, but somebody had the same idea that I had. And I get real insecure about that type of thing because I don't... Usually, if somebody out, uh, out there has the same idea that I've had... Guys, I am not kidding, okay? I'm not overstating it. Like 90% of the time, we've had the same idea, but somehow they managed to get their episode out before I do. And I don't like being second best because, number one, it's second best. But, you know, God forbid somebody thinks that I stole my idea from somebody else because I can't come up with anything on my own. And I actually listened to their episode, and number one, it wasn't quite what... I was thinking about. That's number one. Number two, they went in directions that I certainly was not considering going in. And number three, I talked the whole thing over with the good professor. As like, look, man, um, there are some superficial similarities between your episode and what I was thinking about doing. So uh, I don't know, man. Uh, what do you think? And, you know, I basically kind of explained a little bit of what I had in mind. And he's like, dude, that doesn't sound at all like what we did. So number one, I'm, even if it was the exact same, I'd still be interested in hearing what you have to say. Cause guys, professor Allen is just a nice guy. All right. That's how cool a guy he is. He'll say stuff like that. And I don't know. Uh, he always makes you feel like you're his friend. So anyway, so there's that. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, he said that, um, I was actually planning on going in directions that he and M certainly were not too interested in going in. So all things considered, you know, he certainly had no objection to me doing what I had in mind. So if it seems like there are some superficial similarities between this episode and that relatively geeky thing, just keep in mind, well, Professor Allen and I both don't see it, number one. And number two, you know, I certainly don't mind the fact that that, that, their, that their episode exists. And I can't say anything about M, but Professor Allen, at least, doesn't seem to mind the fact that my episode is about to exist. So anyway, so anyway, um, I think that's probably enough administrivia, at least for the time being. Basically, what I want to do is go through a series of terms that are pretty popular in the fan community. 
I'm not saying that these necessarily originated in the fan community, although some of them did, but I want to go through a couple of terms that, no matter how you slice it, are used a lot by fans, and number two, they're used a lot by normies, and they get the shit abused out of them, at least by the normies. Somewhat by the fans, but definitely by the normies. So that's what we're that's what we're uh, going through here. This is basically the fanboy lexicon, right? These words that are supposed to have a certain specific meaning, and now they get used for fucking everything. All right, and probably number one on the list has got to be reboot. Reboot. All right, this is a word that has been. I remember this being uh, active and just sort of floating around in the fan community. Like, even when I was a kid, I remember hearing people use this term, you know, reboot this, reboot that, reboot, reboot, reboot. You know, it was, it's one of those words that's always been there. And at least for fans of my vintage, because I don't want to say generation exactly, but specifically my vintage. Basically, the fans that are about four years older than me and the fans that are about four years younger than me. Reboot, we have a special, sort of a special connection to that term because, well, I'm just going to say it. I grew up, number one, as a huge Superman fan. And number two, I grew up post-crisis. All right. So for me, Superman really, it all came down to, to John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries, right? This fresh new beginning point for Superman that it basically set down you could call this like a page one scorched earth reboot all right uh, the first page of Man of Steel number one began laying the foundations of what John Burns approach to this character was going to be and then it just gradually expanded outward right it grew this little egg into a sort of a, a bigger and bigger and bigger thing. You know, John Byrne, he's layering on all these ideas. He's reevaluating Superman and his world, his supporting cast, uh, uh, goings on at the Daily Planet, uh, Superman's background, where he comes from, his upbringing, his enemies. His, I mean, in this thing, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger, you know. And it's, this is, to me, this is the clearest the very clearest uh, expression of what a reboot is supposed to be, all right? It basically takes an existing concept, and I don't even know if it's necessarily enough to say that it just starts all over again. It reimagines it. Because I don't think it's, it's an exaggeration to say that Burns Man of Steel is... It's not just a restart of Superman, it's a rethought of Superman. He's basically taking another look at the Superman uh, myth and not just putting even his own spin on it. He's reconceptualizing some of this stuff. Post-Crisis Krypton is a very different place from pre-Crisis Krypton. There's no denying that. And so if people don't necessarily want to include like a wholesale reimagining of the word reboot with their definition of the word reboot, I'm willing to, to give ground on that. Fine. 
you know. But what we need to do is understand that a reboot is a restart of something, okay? You're basically going all the way back to page one, and then you're filling that in all by yourself, and then going forward from there. And I'm not going to let the, the geek community off the hook too much, because they really have abused the word reboot. I don't think quite as much as normies have, and we'll, believe me, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But stuff like Secret Origin, Superman's Secret Origin, has been called a reboot. And I don't give a flying fuck what anybody says. That is not a reboot. That is a retcon. And that's its own sort of thing, but whatever. If anything, retcon doesn't get used enough, but whatever. Uh, Birthright, Superman Birthright, that is a retcon. Superman Secret Origin, that is a retcon. Green Lantern Secret Origin, that is a retcon. On and on and on. We have these things that are retcons, but for some reason they're called reboots. So what distinguishes a reboot from a retcon? Well, a reboot, like I say, it starts at page fucking one and then goes forward. It invents its own continuity as it goes along. The instant, the instant that you incorporate something that precedes your reboot, quote unquote, uh, some element of your exist uh, of the uh, pre-existing universe, the one that you supposedly nuked off the fucking map, the instant you bring that stuff into your your imagining of this. This is no longer a reboot. This is now a retcon, right? And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Again, John Byrne, this is Scorched Earth, okay? Scorched Earth reboot. He went to the first page and ignored everything that had been published prior to his involvement with Superman as a character and rebuilt that entire thing from the ground up. Birthright did not do that. Now, we can debate amongst ourselves, was Birthright really intended by Mark Wade to be a Superman's retconned origin? You can argue yes, just as easily as you can argue no. But no matter what, this was still retrofitted onto Superman, and this was Superman's official origin story for a long time. However, the caveat is this is a retcon. There are certain things that we can assume still happened in this character's history, such as his uh, proposal and subsequent marriage to Lois Lane. That's part of the birthright Superman canon, even though Mark Wade had nothing to do with that. And in fact, that that was done years before Mark Wade even set pen to paper, as it were, for Superman birthright. Superman died at the hands of Doomsday. That's part of the birthright Superman. On and on and on. All right. Basically, everything that had happened with Superman since 1986 and then going forward, we can assume happened to the birthright Superman, even though his origin, this birthright Superman, did not exist until whatever year that came out, like 2003, 2004, something like that. Stories that were published in 19-fucking-91, that's part of uh, birthright Superman, even though that didn't get published until 2003. Or 2004, like I say, whenever. So there you have it. Man of Steel, John Burns, Man of Steel, that is a reboot. Mark Wade's birthright, at least it became a retcon. 
there is no ongoing story uh, that basically what I'm saying is it doesn't birthright does not exist in its own immaculate continuity, right? This does the birthright does not delete everything that came before and then rebuild the egg from the ground up. Doesn't do that. Whether Mark Wade intended it or not, everything that happened in Superman canon still happened. It's now birthright as his origin story rather than Man of Steel. But everything else we can assume still happened with all of the accompanying continuity problems that such a thing creates. So what I'm saying is a reboot is supposed to start things over from the ground up and then it gets layered onto and it doesn't incorporate anything else that pre-existed the creation of this new work. That is a reboot. <clears throat> and like I say, in the geek community, that definition very rarely gets used as it's intended, but I can at least see where the confusion is coming from. I can understand somewhat how people can mistake a retcon for a reboot, even though, guys, let's face it, fans really should be able to know better. But again, I can't really pick on them too much for misusing words. The normies, on the other hand, boy, if, if, if the geek community has abused the word reboot, it is nothing compared to how the outsiders, the mainstream, the, the civilians, the normies, whatever you want to call them, it is nothing compared to how they have just fucking mutilated that word. And I'll give you a good example of what I mean. Uh, my wife and I are both, well, I think my wife really more than me, but we're, we both, we both enjoy that TV show Gilmore Girls, all right? I think she gets more out of it than I do, but I like the writing on that show, you know, the, the machine gun rapid fire dialogue and how characters will just, you know, fire back and forth with each other. I, I, I kind of like it, whereas I think she's more of a fan of that show. I just enjoy watching it, but whatever, you know, that's something that we both you know, that we both somewhat get into, right? And so imagine our our surprise, and I would say somewhat our uh, excitement when the announcement came that, God, what is that? Um, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino and her wife, or sorry, her husband, <laughs> uh, Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband, Dan Palladino, Number one, they were coming back to Gilmore Girls, and number two, they were doing like four Gilmore Girls like mini movies, and basically they were going to finish off the story as much as possible the way that they intended, right? Especially the last four lines of the series that had been floating around the Gilmore Girl uh, uh, fan world for all those years. What are the last four words? Uh, gonna be and they're all there was a lot of you know hubbub and speculation about all of that and uh, there was a what I'm saying is there was a lot of interest to see what was coming with those with those Gilmore Girl uh, movies and uh, certainly this was uh, a, an item of mainstream news there was a lot of ink that got spilled over oh my god the Paladinos they're they're coming back to Gilmore Girls and they're doing these four movies and it's it's gonna be big you know and and, and all this stuff and. The thing about that that just really fucking ground my gears is that people were calling this shit a reboot. Now, 
I'm willing to kind of look the other way when Superman fans inadvertently refer to a Birthright as a reboot. Because I can kind of understand where they're coming from. I can see where the confusion is. You know, this is a new origin. This is creating new continuity, which both a reboot and a retcon will do. And I can kind of see, you know what, they're not right, but they're pretty close. So I'm, you know what, live and let live. Just, you, you got to let some things slide. Let's just forget about it. You know, there's no need to go on some kind of Facebook jihad about it. Just let it go. It's not a big deal. But when you have these mainstream news publications like CNN or who the fuck knows, they're calling these Gilmore Girl uh, movies reboots. I'm sorry, fuckhead. This is not a reboot. This is not even close to a reboot. You want to call it a sequel? Fine. You want to call it a restart? Fine. You want to call it a continuation? Fine. You do not call this shit a fucking reboot. Because it's not a reboot. This takes... This is literally not a reboot. This takes the existing continuity of the TV show, all seven or eight seasons or whatever the fuck, seven seasons, I think, all seven seasons of that show are taken into account. There's nothing that gets ignored. Even if there are some things that maybe should have been ignored, such as the seventh season of that show or whatever, basically the season that the Paladinos did not produce, Guys, I personally wouldn't have minded if the Paladino said, you know, no, we're, we're not doing that. We're only going to consider as continuity the seasons that we did and anything after that. Well, we're just going to pretend like that never happened. No, they didn't do that. All seasons of that show, every single episode is part of the canon. Those movies that they made are dependent upon however many episodes... Uh, of Gilmore Girls were were created. All of those things are in continuity and these movies cannot exist without those episodes, all of them, in the background, right? By any sane fucking coherent standard, this is not a reboot. Alright? But the, the mainstream, the normies, the uh, civilian, again, whatever you want to call them, they hear these these fan terms and they think oh golly if I use these words people are going to think I know what the fuck I'm talking about and I don't think they know what the fuck they, they're talking about but nevertheless this word it gets fucking thrown around all the time and it's actually getting to a point where it just doesn't fucking mean anything anymore whereas once upon a time it had a very clear and very distinct meaning and like I say it's not like uh the nerd community it's not like our hands are clean on this but i can at least understand where some of the confusion came from with them but with the this whole gil and i'm not i'm not picking on gilmore girls you know I, i'm just saying that is probably the best example or here's one here's another one for you if you want me to move away from gilmore girls not that there's anything wrong with gilmore girls but you want me to move away from that they're actually these are a little bit harder to find but you can actually find some news articles that refer to The Force Awakens as a reboot of Star Wars. It didn't last long. I don't remember seeing that in a ton of places, but that's, you look around, I promise you, you're going to find it. Uh, news items circa 2014, 2015, getting into there. And the new Star Wars reboot, The Force Awakens, is coming out in theaters and fucking blah, 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 blah. And these, like these fucking hacks that... Uh, they 
they glom onto these words, they fucking mutilate them, and they think they know what the fuck they're talking about, or lacking that, they, they at least sound smart when they say it, and they just mutilate this fucking word, you know? And so, no, that is not what it means. Here's the official meaning. Again, it's... Basically, you take an existing idea, you ignore everything that exists about this idea before you set pen to paper on whatever your idea is, you basically build an existing concept brand new from the ground up. That is a reboot. Anything else, maybe it's a retcon, maybe it's a sequel, maybe it's a continuation. Uh, what, what, fuck it, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. Not a reboot. I'm going to take a drag off of my uh, vaporizer here, because i, I got to tell you, I'm, we're barely getting into this thing, and I'm already starting to lose my temper a bit, so just a minute. <sighs> All right. So, here's another word that just has been mutilated beyond all recognition. Prequel. Now, I think I've touched upon this in some previous episode, just kind of in passing. But guys, here is the official fucking definition of prequel. A prequel is a sequel. Okay? By definition, it is a sequel. Now, the caveat to that is that a prequel takes place before the original work whether it's a novel or a movie or TV show, whatever the original work is, a prequel takes place before that. Now, probably the best example that everybody can think of with a prequel is Star Wars Episodes 1 through 3, all right? That's really where the word prequel, I think, even comes from. I don't remember hearing it too much prior to the announcement of these movies that George Lucas is going to make, but they take place before the original trilogy, and people just started calling those things prequels, right? I'm pretty sure that's how it worked out, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Someone who's more knowledgeable on the subject, if you want to correct me on that, please. I, I welcome your correction, but my understanding is that's a word that was created specifically to, to describe Star Wars Episodes 1 through 3. And like I say, the catch with all that, the gimmick here, is that these are sequels. But they take place before Star Wars 77. They are sequels to that movie. They just take place before that movie. That is a prequel. And it's like everything else with with uh, this fanboy lexicon, this word has really gotten fucking abused. It, it got to a point where, guys, Smallville was referred to as a prequel. Well, guys, Smallville is not a prequel to jack fucking shit, okay? The, the Smallville version of the Superman mythos is the sequel that to some degree or another, we have never and will never see, all right? Smallville tells the story of the Superman legend. It simply tells it from a different point of view, but it's not a prequel to something. It's not a prequel to anything. It's basically 
Al Goff and Miles Miller, they tell the story, well, mostly it's them, they tell the story of how Clark Kent grows up to become Superman. We never really see that version of the Superman mythos explored to any significant degree. Rather, this is a character study that takes Clark from the standpoint of being this kind of immature and sort of confused farm boy, as we see him in the pilot episode of Smallville, to the finale of Smallville where he is truly ready now to become Superman. But there's no pre-existing work in the Smallville canon. This is not a sequel to something. This doesn't take place before some existing work. It's just, generally, you can assume that the basics of the Superman mythos are going to apply to Smallville. That will eventually exist in the Smallville universe. We simply never really get to see it. All right? But you see it all the time. Smallville is... It's referred to as a prequel by these just uninformed fucking ignoramuses all over the fucking place. Look, guys, if you want to call Smallville a reboot, look, I think you got a leg to stand on, okay? I don't know if that's the best word to use, but you've... There's some logic. I'm going to admit, there is some logic in saying that Smallville is a reboot, all right? Again, I think there are better better ways to describe it, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know what? You're wrong, okay? I'm not going to tell you that. So, what you cannot do, and this is my point, what you cannot do is call Smallville a prequel. Because it's not a prequel. Smallville is its own thing. Love it or hate it. I'm not saying you have to love it. I'm not saying you have to hate it. I'm just saying you have to acknowledge that it is its own thing. This is its own take on the Superman legend. And it simply ends, the story terminates before we get into what one might consider to be the more familiar elements of the core Superman legend, all right? That's it. But it's not a prequel to something. There is no existing continuity that Smallville ties into. There is nothing. Now, yes, I'm going to acknowledge it does borrow certain visuals from the the, uh, Richard Donner series of Superman films, but there is no fucking possible way to reconcile the the story of Smallville as it exists in all 10 seasons of that show is fucking impossible to reconcile that with Superman the movie. Cannot fucking be done. It's impossible. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that Al Goff and Miles Miller took a certain amount of inspiration from Superman the movie, but that doesn't mean that somehow Smallville has really much of anything to do with Superman the movie because it does not. Nothing pre-exists Smallville. It does not tie into any existing continuity. Smallville is its own thing. It's not a prequel to jack fucking shit. (sighs) Okay, I'm getting a little worked out. Just a sec, hold on. Alright, so... Uh, For those keeping score at home, we are half an hour into this episode, and I've already lost my temper twice. So I'm going to try to calm down, try to cool off a little bit. Let's try to be mature and reasonable adults here. Let's, Let's get back into it. Another word that really does get abused a lot Less so by fans. I'm going to give fans a lot of credit on this, all right? Um, The fans, we seem to understand 
at least in my experience and my observation, we seem to understand what this word means. It's... I I'm really going to come down on the normies for this one. Um, well, it's going to mostly be the normies. Uh, I don't know. There's a caveat to that. Um, but there is... There is a word in the geek lexicon that, honestly, like I say, I think fans generally get right. And that word is Easter egg. And basically, guys, an Easter egg in the fan sense of the word, I mean, I'm not talking about actual Easter eggs. I mean, in the fan sense of the word, an Easter egg is some hidden detail in a fictional work that is of some kind of particular interest or input or value to a fan, but it doesn't really affect the story. It's one of those things that if you catch it, good for you, but it doesn't have any great significance unto itself. It's, like I say, it's, it, it's like it's a meaningless detail except for the, the, the resonance that it has to fans, all right? So... Let me think. What is a what is a good example of a, a, a of an Easter egg? You know what? I'm going to think about that actually as as we go along here. But what an Easter egg is not. I found this article. This was uh, published by that bottom feeding website, Screen Rant. This is all just basically everything that Screen Rant uh, uh, posts. You can pretty well call this just clickbait garbage. I mean, this, this really is just a, just a big load of bullshit. You know, uh, the stuff that you read on, on, uh, on screen rant. And there was one particular article though, that really jumped out at me. And uh, this is entitled Joker Easter eggs, cameos, and DC comics references. And guys, what you need to understand is that when somebody includes that fucking many, uh, uh, technical terms, when they include that much jargon in their little headline, what they're basically trying to do is create an article with the widest fucking possible appeal, and no one can tell them that they're misusing words because that description, Easter eggs, cameos, and DC Comics references, can fucking mean anything. Anything at all. And so right off the bat, you know you're dealing with a, a, a pretty shitty article. And this one was written by Thomas Bacon fucking hack. So anyways, um, but basically this article, it describes, it describes Alfred Pennyworth. Okay. This character, Alfred Pennyworth is one of the most prolific, most important supporting characters in the entire Batman mythos. Alfred Pennyworth. He has a role small though it may be, he has a role, and I would say a kind of a pivotal role, in Joker, the film, Joker, right? It's it's small, but it's important. That bottom-feeding article by that bottom-feeding writer calls that an Easter egg. Alfred Pennyworth is not an Easter egg in Joker, but he's called an Easter egg, Arkham State Hospital. Arkham Asylum is one of the most important locations or settings or whatever you want to call it, institutions, fucking whatever, in the Batman mythos. 
certain of Batman's rogues gallery, they have to get arrested and they have to get sent somewhere. And so that somewhere that they get sent is Arkham Asylum. Arkham State Hospital is a pretty important location in Joker. And that bottom-feeding article by that bottom-feeding writer calls that an Easter egg. Because that's the level of discourse that we're dealing with here. So, what is uh, an, an Easter egg? Well, I'm, just as I've been sitting here flapping my gums, I've, I've tried to give that some, some kind of consideration. And so, I don't know, I'm, maybe, uh, I don't know if this is like the best example, but an Easter egg, it, one example of an Easter egg might be, there's this moment in Revenge of the Sith where Obi-Wan Kenobi blows Gener General Grievous into the next life, right? Basically blows him away. This is one of the few times that we ever see Obi-Wan Kenobi using a blaster, at, at least in the live-action films. I mean, Clone Wars, God, that went all over the place, so who knows? I don't even, I I'm not even going to pretend to know. I don't know, because I haven't really seen a whole lot of Clone Wars. So maybe Obi-Wan used a blaster, whatever, that's boring. So this is what this is. I think the only time that we ever see Obi Wan, at least in a live action feature film, use a blaster. He 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 blasts General Grievous. General Grievous keels over and dies pretty much right there on the spot. And so Obi Wan he just tosses the blaster aside and he says, "So uncivilized." And if you get it, you get it. But that's actually a callback, an Easter egg, if you will to a line that Obi-Wan had in Star Wars 77. He's describing a lightsaber, and he says, it's an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Well, we have seen at least glimpses of a more civilized age in the prequels, but by about the time you get into Episode 3, there's not a whole lot of, a, a whole lot of things that are going on that you can call civilized. So Obi-Wan, he tosses the blaster aside, and he says, so uncivilized. If you get it, you get it. But if you don't understand what Obi-Wan is saying there, if you don't really grasp the significance of it, you're really not missing anything, right? You can just kind of infer, well, he doesn't like blasters. He obviously prefers lightsabers, as probably, I guess, a Jedi would. You don't need to understand that there's some connective tissue going on there to the original trilogy, specifically Star Wars 77. If you get it, you get it. But you're not really losing anything if you don't get it. That, I think, is a good example of what an Easter egg is supposed to be. It's, it's a, a, a detail. Maybe it's a prop, or in this case, a, a, a piece of dialogue. Or it can be a location. It can be anything. Something that the core fans are going to be able to pick up on and understand the significance of but ignorance of this thing will not be detrimental to ignorant outsiders. That is an Easter egg. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best example, but it is nevertheless, I think, a good example that... Fuck, whatever. Anyway, and at least I got... You know what? If you don't think that's the best example that you can th that can possibly be used, well, number one, feel welcome to send me an email and come up with something that you think is a better Easter egg than that. Number one, because I'd like to hear it. And number two, at least I got through this item without losing my temper. Small victories, boys and girls. Small victories. So anyway, 
The next item on my list here is cosplay. Now, when this word first started getting thrown around, I don't remember hearing it too much before the early 2000s, but when this word first started getting thrown around, it was used by people who, they really went to the next level with uh, wearing costumes, in particular to comic book conventions, right? It's not enough to just buy, say, a Spider-Man costume, like a Halloween costume, off the rack, and then wear that to a comic book convention. There's an entire world of detail that goes into cosplay. It's different from simply putting on a costume and going to a convention. There's an entire philosophy that, that goes into it. All right? The idea is, as much as possible... Your outfit, whatever, you sh whatever you're wearing, you need to look as though you stepped right off a comic book page or a movie screen or whatever, all right? You need to look as much as you possibly can like the character. There's a specific meaning that goes in with this, right? So we'll use... Uh, we'll use... Uh, you know, Superman has served me pretty well in this episode, so fine, we'll just use that. Superman is our example. Um, first off, you need to be just about the right height to be Superman. You need to have uh, the right hair color. You need to have the right eye color. Superman is portrayed as vaguely Caucasian in the comics. So yes, you need to be vaguely Caucasian yourself. I don't fucking care if that offends anybody. That's what it's supposed to fucking be. He's vaguely Caucasian, so you need to at least look vaguely Caucasian. Uh, you need to have the... Number one, you need to make your own costume. And number two, it needs to look like Superman's outfit in the comics, right? You, you need to look as though you stepped right off of the comic book page. That is cosplay, all right? Every single detail needs to be as close as you can possibly get it. Well, here's the thing. Maybe you don't have blue eyes. Maybe you've got brown eyes. So what are you supposed to do? Well, a cosplayer to my understanding, is supposed to wear contacts. Superman has blue eyes. That is canon. You have brown eyes. That is not canon. So you wear contact lenses so that your eye color will superficially match Superman's eye color. That is cosplay. Simply going to Walmart or some fucking place, buying a Superman Halloween costume, and then wearing that to a con... That's not cosplay, asshole. That's wearing a Halloween costume. And if you want to wear a Halloween costume, hey, by all means, be my guest. It's a free country, at least for now. Wear a fucking Halloween costume. But do not call that cosplay. Because that's not cosplay. So, so there's that. Another example is the... This is... Maybe I'm lacking a visual aid here, and I apologize for that, but I one time went to a con, and I was dressed as Waldo, because that's a character that I kind of sort of look enough like that I can... I I at least can see it, you know? I mean, is is Waldo actually a redhead? I think that can be debated, but I would argue that he is. You know, his pale skin... Fucking whatever. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I fucking went to a con dressed as Waldo, Right. I personally am not willing to consider that cosplay, but while I was there, I was um, I ended up meeting some guy 
who was duded up like the shadow. And I mean, this guy fucking did it right. All right. He was, he, he had the, the, the look right. He had the right kind of coat. He had the right kind of sort of slouch hat. He had, uh, that, that scarf that, uh, the shadow, uh, uh, wears around his mouth. He had that, but I could tell, and this was crucial. I could tell that he, he didn't quite have the right kind of nose. Cause the, it's I think it's called an aquiline profile that the shadow is supposed to have that kind of sort of uh, angular sort of nose that the shadow is supposed to have. That's fucking canon, guys. You got to have that. And this cosplayer didn't quite have it. So he had it looked like he'd kind of created I thought he did a great job with it because I didn't even notice that he was wearing sort of a nose prosthetic until I had my picture taken with him. And I happened to glance over and I saw if you looked real close, you could see the glue that he used to to put the nose piece on. So he looked a lot more like the shadow. And at a glance, you might even miss it. You might not realize, oh my God, this guy is, he's actually got the nose piece. It actually looked com completely real. The entire reason I wanted to have my picture taken with him was because that is how much he looked like the shadow, right? It was that perfect. But I, when I got closer, I realized, no, he didn't actually have the right kind of nose. And so he, I, I don't know how you do something like this. I guess he is a makeup artist or something. But he somehow got his hand on a, a prosthetic nose. And so he was wearing that to the con so that he looked more like the shadow because that's fucking canon. And guys, that is cosplay. What cosplay is not is some girl wearing an R2-D2 tube top, okay? I don't care if this offends somebody or not. That is not fucking cosplay. That's some ditz wearing, wearing an R2-D2 tube top. And if you want to call it some ditz wearing an R2-D2 tube top, then fine. Call it some ditz wearing an R2-D2 tube top, but do fucking not call that cosplay. Because it's not cosplay. So, anyways... Um, God, I'm getting... Hold on. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna get, also going to get a sip off of my... Uh, orange vanilla coke here. Yes, I, I brought the orange vanilla coke back, so you can all stop texting me about that. Just a minute. Alright, so I saved arguably the most controversial for last, and this is one of those times when, guys, I am going to have to somewhat heavily indict the fan community on this because this was already sort of a murky term to begin with anyway and I think this is one of those terms where the fan community in particular <clears throat> the fan community bears a sort of unique responsibility for if anything watering this term down and this term is Mary Sue alright and I'm going to use Mary Sue and what I think was the original intent of this word, which is already, that's kind of a, 
kind of a dicey proposition, but I'm going to use this in its, I think it's original intended use. This is supposed to be a, a unisex work. Mary Sue can be a male character or a female character. Because ultimately what it describes is a, is a, certain, a certain type or a certain number of characteristics uh, for a fictional character, right? Certain traits, or for that matter, the lack of certain traits, just depending on how you want to look at it, that pop up on a semi-frequent basis in fiction, but honestly, not as frequent as people seem to want to believe, right? Mary Sue's, believe it or not, are actually relatively rare in fiction. Now, there's an entire history that goes in with the origin of Mary Sue, and I'm not really interested in getting into that, except to say that Mary Sue is uniquely a product of the fan community, number one, and number two was created specifically for purposes of satire, all right? This was somewhat parody of certain types of fan fiction, all right? So for me, the sort of, this is already kind of an elastic thing to begin with anyway. So yes, I realize that Mary Sue is a feminine name in a general sense, but this term, Mary Sue, in the fan-oriented sense, this is, it, it is and it has to be unisex. It has to be, because you know, Gary Stew or Gary Sue or Marty Stew. You know, I mean, those fucking names, those are just, that's stupid, okay? Let's just call it what it is. Mary Sue. And Mary Sue is unisex. I don't care what anybody says. It is a unisex term. So let's start there. Mary Sue, this is a character to whom... Uh, the fictional universe in which the character lives, the other characters, you know, lead character and or supporting characters, and the narrative, Mary Sue is a character to whom everything submits, right? The fictional universe, the supporting characters, the narrative, logic, everything. Everything bends to Mary Sue. Mary Sue characters are exempt from the usual limitations that are imposed by uh, uh, realism, logic, the character's education, the character's physical ability, the character's morality, and other characteristics, all right? Everything ultimately serves the Mary Sue character, even if they shouldn't, they still do, right? Now, Ray from the Star Wars sequel movies is typically held up as the gold standard of Mary Sue's. And there's a degree to which I can even kind of understand where she satisfies a lot of those tropes. I don't think she hits all of them. I don't even think she comes close to hitting all of them. But boy, oh boy, the tropes that she hits, she hits like a motherfucker. Um, for example, Ray is shown in The Force Awakens to be an excellent mechanic, but arguably it's reasonable that Ray would have some kind of aptitude for mechanics, considering her background as a scavenger. Fine. Ray is also shown to be an excellent fighter, but 
arguably it's reasonable that she'd have some fighting skill considering the hard scrabble life that she lived on Jakku. Fine. Here's the thing, guys. I don't think that her background as a scavenger is necessarily going to qualify her not only to fix the Millennium Falcon, but to fix the Millennium Falcon better than Han or Chewie could, okay? I can believe that she's got some aptitude as a mechanic. I mean, her background, I think, kind of demands it. I cannot believe, though, that she's capable of fixing an entire fucking starship. And I certainly can't believe that she's better at it than the ship's rightful owners would be. This is arguably a Mary Sue moment, but if somebody wanted to excuse this, it's not really my business to tell you that you're wrong. Again, Ray is shown to be a very accomplished fighter, and I think her background would provide a reasonable justification for that, but I, I don't care what anybody says. I cannot believe that she can I mean, what does Daisy Ridley weigh? Like, like a hundred pounds, or maybe she's like a buck ten or something like that? I cannot convince myself. I do not have enough brain cells to kill to convince myself that she can defeat three attackers, all of whom are much bigger than she is. Again, I believe that she can hold her own. She would have to. I believe that she can handle herself in, her, in, in, in a fight. I cannot believe that she can overpower however many uh, ho however many thugs she she beat up in, in in the Force Awakens when she's I forget I forget she's not, she's standing under an awning or there's something that's going on and she basically kicks ass on like three or four guys all of whom look like they're about double her weight and they've got. <clears throat> I'll, I'll suggest like 30, 40 some odd pound advantage over her. It looks like it could be a full 8 to 12 inch reach advantage over her. I just don't believe she can beat up all three or four or however many attackers, right? Don't get me wrong. Again, I can believe that she can fight. I refuse to think that that, that fight in The Force Awakens, I refuse to think that's the first fight she's ever gotten into. But I do not believe she can fight and then defeat that many people all at once. Arguably, that is a Mary Sue moment. It's all in how you look at it. But there is another problem though. Ray is, she's shown to be, uh, shall we say, force prodigy, all right? Now, arguably, it's reasonable that she might be gifted considering the vagaries of who even possesses Force abilities, and for that matter, who doesn't, in the galaxy far, far away. But guys, here's the catch. Everything that Luke Skywalker had to sweat for and work for and fight for and bleed for in the original trilogy, Rey, she's just got it, all right? She... Basically, she doesn't even touch the force. It's almost like the force touches her. And she's like, oh, okay, all right, I, okay, I got this, okay. So you just, you know, you, you can uh, twist people's mind 
doing this and you can somehow go toe to toe with Kylo what's his name by doing that and it's like guys Kylo Ren we're led to believe is he's one of the most dangerous swordsmen in the entire galaxy all right motherfucker was personally trained by no less than Luke Skywalker himself not only in the force but also we can assume in in, in swordplay all right now Oddly enough, I can actually believe, I forget the, uh, Finn, I think is his name, the, the stormtrooper, the disgruntled stormtrooper uh, storm guy. I could actually believe that Finn could go toe-to-toe with Kylo and at least last a while. Now, it's not a stretch to think that Finn might actually lose that fight, but I can at least convince myself, you know what, yeah, he he might, you know, Finn might be able to put up a fight because... His background as a stormtrooper, you know, he he knows how to handle himself in a fight, you know, at least somewhat, you would think, but I don't know. I mean, it's all in how you look at it, right? Ray, no. I just can't believe that Ray can go toe to toe with Kylo Ren, put up a fight, and even fight him to a standstill. Now, the fact is, arguably, she won the fight in The Force Awakens, but fine. If you want to say that she fought him to a standstill, whatever. I won't argue that. The problem is, I can't believe that she could even fight him to a standstill. I mean, guys, this is one of the most dangerous motherfuckers in the entire galaxy, and there's no way that some hick from a backwater planet like Rey lasts very long at all against against Kylo. I just, again, I cannot kill enough brain cells to convince myself of that. I don't care what anybody says. Undeniably... That is a Mary Sue moment. When uh, when Ray she does the Jedi mind trick on that stormtrooper and talks him into releasing her, I cannot believe that without serious, diligent, practiced training on her part, that she's capable of doing that. All right. Uh, there's virtually nothing about the Force that's intuitive. Virtually nothing. I mean, I can see how the Force might reinforce. Uh, your your natural abilities and your 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 natural talents and all of those things but this is still going to take a lot of discipline and a lot of practice and a lot of training on your part in order to get it right okay i cannot believe that just straight out of the box she's going to be able to do the fucking jedi mind trick i don't give a shit what anybody says or how uh how butthurt somebody might get over it that undeniably is a mary fucking sue moment. It is the gold standard of bad writing. Now, again, I'm not prepared to sit here and tell you that Ray hits, that, that she basically checks all of the boxes on the list, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that she's absolutely a Mary Sue in every possible conceivable way, all right? I'm not, some people are making that argument. I'm not, but she certainly has Mary Sue elements when it comes to her her status as a Jedi, okay? I cannot and will not believe that she, or anybody for that matter, not just because she's Rey, I can't believe that anybody has that kind of raw talent, all right? Anakin fucking Skywalker needed years of training to get, just to get to the level that we see him at in Attack of the Clones. So how much more training should should Ray require uh, just to do some of the easier shit that we see her do just in The Force Awakens, okay? That stuff 
is pure Mary Sue characteristics. Again, I'm not calling Ray a Mary Sue. I'm simply saying that she has certain Mary Sue characteristics. Now, guys, here's the problem. We're at a point in fandom where a lot of fans, they see these, they, they see characters that maybe aren't fully fleshed out or they're just not as well developed as they might be. And they say, Mary Sue, that's a Mary Sue character. No, no, it's not. Or at least not necessarily. It might be. It may be. It's possible. But that by itself is not a Mary Sue characteristic, okay? Uh, one, or rather, that's not, a, that's not Mary Sue. I mean, I, you know, a lot of characters are not fully formed or fully developed, or maybe they don't have a complete history. I mean, go back and watch uh, the original trilogy sometime, all right? And guys, Admiral Akbar was a fan favorite character for years. Still is, in fact, a fan favorite character. He doesn't really have... We don't really know a whole lot about, and I'm talking about canon now, all right? Shit that happens on screen. That is Star Wars canon, whether anyone likes it or not. That is Star Wars canon. So maybe there's some novel out there that goes into Admiral Akbar's background and tells you who he is and where he's coming from, the life experiences that shaped him, so on and so forth, right? But you sit there and you watch Return of the Jedi. Everything that you know about Admiral Akbar, which isn't much, it all happens right there. And the thing is, there isn't much. Uh, you don't know. I don't even think the name Akbar is even spoken out loud by anybody. But even if I'm wrong on that, we don't know his history. We don't know how he came to join the rebellion. We don't know uh, the, the full extent of his military training, his background. Was he ever, did he at least try to join the Imperial Navy? We don't know uh, who his parents are. We don't know what the formula, uh, formative experiences that shaped him, his life, his character, the, uh, the, the really important big moments in his life. We don't know shit. But you know what? That stuff does not make him a Mary Sue. Or here's another one. Again, going strictly by what's on screen, all right? Mon Mothma. We don't really know a whole lot about Mon Mothma, all right? We see her make uh, this sort of oral presentation to the rebels in Return of the Jedi that basically describes what the second Death Star is, where it's located, what it's all about, um, uh, the expected firepower that it's supposed to have, the fact that it's still under construction. She basically lays all of that out there. And the thing is, yes, I know that the novels gave Mon Mothma a lot of background. She's got a very deep, and I would say kind of interesting history whenever you read uh, the Star Wars EU type stuff, right? But based on only on what we see, we really don't see a whole lot of, or in fact, we don't see any of Mon Mothma's history or her background. We don't know anything about her. How did she come to join the Rebel Alliance? Well, if you read uh, the comics or the, or, or the books, you know the answer to that, but the movie doesn't tell you. What's her history? Um, uh, you know, in terms of work, how did she make a living before? Well, if you read the comics or the novels, you know the answer to that, but the movie doesn't tell you. But the fact that the movie doesn't tell you very much about Mon Mothma, that doesn't make her a Mary Sue. It simply means that we don't know. She, served, she and Akbar both, they serve a specific role in the story of Return of the Jedi. There's, there are things that they need to do, contributions that they need to make to the story, to the narrative, and they make them. But the fact that we don't know a whole lot about them as characters, that doesn't make either of them Mary Sue's. 
It just means that they are not main characters. They didn't get a whole lot of development in the film because ultimately the film has to develop other characters and resolve other character arcs and advance the narrative in other ways involving other characters, not them. And so, but it's like the instant a supporting character comes along and they have a limited role to play in a story, people call those characters Mary Sue's because they found a shiny new toy and they want to fucking say that word all the time no matter how appropriate or inappropriate saying that or applying that to certain characters might be. The fact that somebody doesn't have a deep and extensive history on something, the fact that we don't necessarily know a whole lot about them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a, a Mary Sue. A Mary Sue, guys, is, like I say, I, I, I outlined this before, this is somebody that the usual, the usual in in-universe rules, the in-universe law, uh, logic, um, common sense, those things do not apply to Mary Sue characters. Mary Sue characters are right because they're right. They're, they're good at something because that's just how amazing they are. They, uh, they have uh, talent and they have abilities that they should not have simply because of who they are, not what they are or where they come from or the experiences uh the experiences they've had the the education that they've that they've had the training that they've been through they simply are because they're amazing that's that is a mary sue and just to kind of give you an an example of a character cuz guys again i don't think i mean yeah there are certain mary sue characteristics that ray from star wars kind of fulfills there is a better example out there that i think you can adequately call a mary sue because as far as i can tell she checks all the boxes all right um and what are some of the boxes well a Mary Sue character is sometimes called flawless, but honestly, that's not completely true. They can have flaws, but the issue, at least as I see it, is that the flaws that a Mary Sue tends to have are either not really flaws at all, or else they're flaws based on other characters rather than themselves. For example, a common Mary Sue flaw is that he or she is too beautiful or they're too perfect. The Mary, the uh, Mary Sue is often the subject of a lot of character, uh, of a lot of other characters' desire. Uh, there are times when a Mary Sue does something that's absolutely morally unconscionable, but the writing refuses to acknowledge how terrible a thing that actually was. So, if a supporting character expresses some type of roman romantic interest in a Mary Sue, that Mary Sue might become offended and then insult or even hit the character who is expressing romantic interest in him or her. And the writing, and this is key, the writing will not acknowledge that the Mary Sue was wrong to behave in that way. And the thing is, everybody loves, in like in universe, all the characters, everybody loves the Mary, the Mary Sue, whether they verbalize it or not. The Mary Sue is everybody's best friend, and for a lot of other characters, he or she is the ideal romantic partner, whether or not they ever say so out loud. And if they say so out loud, or if they make a move on that Mary Sue, and the Mary Sue isn't interested, it's not enough to say, look, 
I don't have those feelings for you. Let's just stay friends. All right. I'm sorry if I'm hurting you, but I just don't feel that way about you. And we, we need to not do this. All right. Rather than say that, which I think is the, the, I don't know, the more polite or the more moral action to take, the Mary Sue will insult them or even, like I say, even punch them. And the writing doesn't acknowledge that, you know what, they were seriously out of fucking line for doing that. I mean, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to have dinner with me? And then you punch that person. You are a bad person. You just committed assault. And I hope that person that you punched presses charges on you. And like I say, there is a character out there that checks all of these fucking boxes. And that is Lana from Smallville. Lana, there's a point in in Smallville, I want to say it's in the fifth season, she actually threatens somebody who works for Lex. She actually threatens this guy, Dr. Grohl. She stops an elevator and actually threatens the guy. And the thing is, uh, the writing makes it sound like she's doing the right thing. This is a positive thing that she's doing. The guy's just doing his job. Lex hired him to carry out certain scientific research. Dr. Grohl is carrying out certain scientific research. He's not being dishonest. He's not ripping Lex off. He's, he's doing everything that Lex hired him to do. Lana threatens him. And she's good for having done that, even though common sense says, look, if you threaten somebody like that for no reason whatsoever, you're a bad person. You shouldn't do shit like that. The writing never acknowledges, never acknowledges any of that. So there's that. Lex finds out what happened, and he actually tells Lana she did a good thing. No, she didn't do a good thing. That was a fucking horrible thing to do to somebody. But Lana's awesome. So there's that. Um, Let me think. Uh, Honestly, guys, if you've seen... Look, I can go through that all day. Look, you've either seen Smallville... Or you haven't. But my point is, there are very clear flaws that Lana has. She lies for no reason. She lies even when lying doesn't really benefit her in any obvious way. She still lies. And the thing is, she she has all of these negative character flaws. Nobody ever calls her out on it. She's the object of everybody's desire. And... Anyone who disagrees with her is a bad, bad person. And from seasons one through season, yeah, from season one through season six, which, by the way, season six, that was Smallville's shippiest season, guys. I don't know if anyone knows that, but it it was, right? So from seasons one through season six, Smallville's shippiest season, she's a, I think she's a fucking bitch in, in most of those episodes, but it's like, nobody ever says so. No one ever calls her out on it. No one ever says, Lana... You're wrong. And if someone, on the few occasions when someone does, they're evil. The Sainted Season 7. Now, I don't want to give too much away about why I love The Sainted Season 7, but one of the reasons that I love The Sainted Season 7 is that The Sainted Season 7 does more than any previous season of Smallville to acknowledge Lana's flaws, her faults, the things that she gets wrong, uh, the things that, let's face it, uh, the the darker elements of her character, 
those things start getting acknowledged in the sainted season seven. Now, one of the reasons that I tend to be a little bit skeptical when certain contingents of fans call a character a Mary Sue is, guys, I am not kidding. I am not fucking kidding when I say this. I've actually seen Veronica Mars called a Mary Sue. And it's actually, I'm starting to think that things are getting to a point where a female character is called a Mary Sue, not because there's anything wrong with her, but because she's a female character. When you call Veronica Mars a Mary Sue, it's time to acknowledge, you know what? You don't know what the fuck you're talking about, all right? Veronica Mars is angry. Some might even say kind of bitter. That's not a Mary Sue characteristic. There are times when Veronica Mars crosses the line, right? Just on a moral level. She does things that are, that are just plain wrong. And the writing acknowledges it. Veronica was wrong to do that. There are times when Veronica makes a mistake and someone has to tell her, look, you shouldn't have done that, all right? That was a bad decision. Bad things came out of that. That is not a Mary Sue characteristic. There are times when Veronica says the wrong thing, all right? I think she generally has a good heart, but she's, she's also kind of hard-hearted. She can be sometimes mean. You know, there are times when she mistreats other people, and she shouldn't. And she realizes that she was wrong to do that, and so she tries to make amends. That is not a Mary Sue characteristic. Now, yes, there are, just, to, just to get into the show at all, you kind of have to acknowledge that if Veronica ever goes looking for Jimmy Hoffa's body, she's going to find it. If, if Veronica ever investigates the Kennedy assassination, she's going to solve it, okay? You need to get your head around the fact that Veronica Mars always gets her man. In the end, she always gets her man. Now, the simple fact that Veronica is capable of solving just about any crime, that's not a Mary Sue characteristic. You kind of have to acknowledge that just to get into season one, all right? Uh, it's very unlikely that a teenage girl is going to be able to solve the murder case that Veronica solves in season one, but solve it she does. And if you can't accept the fact that she's capable of solving that case, nothing else about the show is going to work for you either. This is one of the core conceits that you have to make just to watch the show. So that is not a Mary Sue characteristic, all right? She's good at this one thing because her father's a cop. She's glommed on quite, uh, quite a lot to um, uh, detective work. He's actually taught her a lot of detective work. It's not unreasonable to think that she's capable of solving uh, crimes, all right? I think she, I, I find it very easy to believe that she can do it because as much as anything, um, Criminology, it's, it comes down to intelligence, and Veronica has intelligence to spare, but it also comes down to a certain way of thinking. Criminology, you have to be able to think the way a criminal thinks, and Veronica's been surrounded by that her entire life. Now, maybe one of the reasons that I'm able to buy into Veronica Mars as a character is because I don't want to get too much into my own background, but I've actually dated a cop's daughter before. No, she's not Veronica Mars. But she understood things about uh, criminology, about police work. She understood stuff about that uh, 
because she's sort of marinated in that literally her entire life. All right. She knows a lot and she's absorbed it as much as any, or at least when I knew her, when we were back in school, she absorbed like 90% of it just kind of by osmosis, right? She had an interest in police work. So I guess that's a major part of it. Number two, she was intelligent. You know, she was at least as smart as I was. And so she had the ability to wrap her brain around police work. And then number three, she actually began studying it and she found she had a, maybe not surprisingly, kind of an aptitude for this, right? I, for that reason, just maybe it's because of just my romantic history. There's virtually nothing about Veronica that I can't convince myself of just because I've known, again, I did not date somebody just like Veronica back in high school, but I dated somebody from a kind of similar background, somebody who's kind of starting from a similar place as Veronica. And so for that reason, it's never been hard for me to believe in the idea that, you know what? Somebody like Veronica, this is a plausible character in a fictional setting. It's not hard to believe at all. And this is not to speak of the fact that my ex-girlfriend really did go on to become a cop, like for real. So, you know, I guess there's that. But my point is, if you're to the point that you call Veronica fucking Mars a Mary Sue, guys, it's time for everyone to acknowledge you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So, anyway, my point is, especially when it comes to Mary Sue characters, only certain characters really fit that. And there are not as many of them out there as you might think. So, anyway. And that is pretty much what I had to say. Uh, you know, at some point, I may think of some other terms that get completely just fucking abused by people. But at least for right now, I, I, I do think that this is a... Uh, this is a good round number, you know, five technical terms here. Reboot, prequel, Easter egg, cosplay, and Mary Sue. I think this is a uh, this is a pretty good place to put a pin in it and uh, just kind of terminate the discussion here. I'm, again, I may pick this discussion up at some point in the future. If I can think of some more technical terms that just get completely cannibalized by other people that we need to get set straight now. So, um, anyway, so, uh, but either way, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. 
There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus... Media Enterprises Limited Production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. everybody, Magnus here. In 1992, seven men disrupted the comic book industry. 
and it was awesome. It's hard to find a comic book publisher that launched with more anticipation, excitement, and hype than Image Comics did. Now me, I love Image Comics. So much, in fact, that beginning in March of 2020, I'm embarking upon a brand new epic mega series. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. I'm taking a fond look back at a handful of early image titles. What was good? What was bad? What were some missed opportunities? Well, things couldn't have been too horrible because those comics sold millions and millions of copies. So join in on the fun with me and take a fond look back at the comics of yesteryear. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. A Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega series beginning in March of 2020. Only at twotruefreaks.com.